Welcome in, everybody. Happy to have you back with us for episode 69 of the Sports Gospel. And a, a big week out there, a big birthday week. Happy 45th to Tom Brady. That's very exciting. What did you get him this year? An eighth Super Bowl ring. Very nice. Yeah. I don't want to spoil our NFL preview show. We're going to get into that in a couple of weeks, but I may be leaning Buccaneers. We also, oh, another birthday. Uh, Shannon's birthday was Monday. Shannon and Kevin back on the show with us gave these two a little bit of a break and happy to have him back with us to talk. We're going to go all across the board this week, but Shannon, what did you do for your birthday? How'd you celebrate? Yeah, I, uh, I officially started a new job and that was my first day on the new job. And, uh, also for supper, went to old Chicago. I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good pizza from old Chicago. So we went there and ate, and then I got ice cream at Hickory Park, got an ice cream shake there. Uh, so that's, that's how I celebrated becoming a year older and wiser. Shannon, just so you know, I looked for a few gifts to send you, and I didn't find any good ones, so I just didn't say happy birthday at all. So happy birthday, however many days late we're at now. <laughs> I think we're only three days late as we're recording. That counts. I, uh, I had some office ones up and some South Park ones, but they just didn't really fit the bill. So um, I even went to TikTok to find some good videos, and there, just, there wasn't anything good from those, uh, those episodes that really worked really well. So, but happy birthday. Very exciting. I, I didn't even think you watched The Office. I wasn't sure you were aware of what The Office was. Me? No, Shannon. Oh, Shannon. You might not. I, I know enough just to be dangerous, but I would not consider myself a fan. Like, I think it's fine. Of all the things I want Shannon on my trivia team for, modern TV shows and movies and rock and roll music are... I'm I'm picking other people for those categories. All the really popular on your part. All those popular shows like uh, 30 Rock and The Office and stuff like that. I started watching about 10 years after they first aired. Um, And so it was kind of fun, though, because I was able to watch a lot of them in a short period of time. And uh, it was kind of like a good throwback, even though it was still new to me. So up next, staying with current events and uh, wanting to get into Sopranos at some point. So new stuff yeah for about 15 years i've been saying i'm gonna watch the sopranos i finally i I watched parks and rec for the first time a couple years ago and i loved it so if you're looking for a new comedy parks and rec is i thought it was gonna be terrible and i loved it finally got into uh stranger things which controversial opinion didn't love stranger things but one other thing from that show that why i don't know why nobody talks about this that main girl that 11 or jane whichever you want to call her i don't think i'm spoiling anything by saying this the seasons when she has shaved hair, tell me she does not look just like Philip Rivers. I'm not sure I saw enough of those pictures of that uh, time in her TV life to have a good comparison, but I will take your word for it. And if I see those pictures again, I'm just going to think of Philip Rivers and nothing else. So thank you. Looks different when she has the long hair, but when she has the shaved head parts of the series, dead ringer, like... I don't know which one of those two that says more about, but well, happy birthday to Shannon and Tom Brady. We're going to kind of go all across the board this week. We're going to touch base a little bit. We've got UFC. We've got Major League Baseball. We've got NASCAR playoffs on the horizon. And then we're going to start getting into college football and the NFL. I think over so next week, currently plan to have Austin on to do a big baseball episode. Then after that, we'll do 
two-part college football preview. Hopefully get these guys on for one part of that and then do an AFC preview and an NFC preview. So those are kind of the next five weeks of the show. So this is kind of a, a little bit of a smattering episode. I've got some questions here that maybe will prompt conversation for college football and the NFL for these two. Before we get into that, we don't really like to do anything too. We would like to keep this a happy light show. We don't get into the serious stuff or don't try to do anything too sad, but we do want to pay our respects to two titans of the sports world that we lost this week. First, you had Bill Russell, one of the all-time greatest NBA players of all time, a top 20 player, if not top 10 or top five, depending on whose opinion you're asking for. Passed away, I believe, 88 years old. A titan not only of the NBA, but you talk about somebody who is a humanitarian and just a good person who did a lot to try to better the world. Bill Russell is all that and more. One of those guys, if you can go find interviews of him, just listen to his thoughts on the world. They're they're really eye-opening. And then Vin Scully, the longtime, I believe, 67-year announcer for the Dodgers, passed away. I think he was 94. And just anybody who knows anything about sports knows Vin Scully's name. I don't know that any of us have ever lived in an area where you're going to regularly hear Brooklyn or Los Angeles Dodgers broadcast. Yeah, he's been around that long and that they were still the Brooklyn Dodgers when he started. But he's everybody knows Vin Scully in the sports world. Even if you didn't listen to Dodgers baseball, you know who Vin Scully is, so... Our, our respects to those two icons and their loved ones. Vin Scully, I just found out, and I probably never actually heard the audio for this, but I saw someone say he was calling the 49ers versus, who was it, probably the Cowboys maybe, when uh, Joe Montana threw the, the pass in the back of the end zone to, uh, was it Clark? Yeah, the Dwight, Dwight Clark. Clark. That he was, so I don't know if that was on radio that stuff was on TV is doing TV is probably a lot more radio broadcast back in those days. But, um, so I need to find that, uh, audio clip to listen to that, to hear him doing something besides baseball. Yeah. I, I had not realized that I'm pretty I sure that was on TV at the week. time. He had like a 15 year run as a, as a TV guy as well and bounced around, but mostly to the Dodgers. But yeah. Like you mentioned, bounced around into other things. And I think he did the Dwight Clark catch on TV. I've, I've had fun this week listening to, to the different people just share their stories about, about Vin Scully and Bill Russell, because my, my limited experience, it's, it's not for me to share stories of success with them, but it's fun to hear other people talk about what they were like being around them. Um, A lot of the great things that Bill Russell did to help other people and, and to really to be a pioneer, a, a leader, and then uh, with Vin Scully, anytime you you would click on a highlight of something he called, it's just really fun to listen to. And so they've, there's been a lot of that stuff floating around the internet this week. And so it has been it has been good. And and they are they are being remembered for the legacy that they left. So so certainly worth mentioning, Darren. Again, our our thoughts and uh, all due respect to both those people. Uh, we're going to get into the sports here a little bit, try to transition look a little bit, some of the recent events we had and where we're going forward, UFC 277, which I don't know that it was too much of an upset. I think everybody who was expected to win one on this one, the big thing, Amanda Nunez getting her other belt back. She is a champ champ yet again, and a pretty convincing win. They went the distance, but looking at the judges scorecard, she had Juliana Pena on the ropes, the entire fight. Uh, Derek Lewis losing in his is it's up and down with him. You never quite know. He's a high risk, high reward fighter. And that paid off in this one. I'm still not 
very familiar with the guy he fought, but a guy who's climbing up through the ropes. The interim title fight with Brandon Moreno and Kai Kara France. I knew that Brandon Moreno was the smart bet, but I've just been a Kai Kara France fan ever since I discovered him. So I'm willing to go down and defeat with that one. Those are kind of the big three. Um, Ankalaev winning his fight. I, I told you two to, if you wanted to make some picks to bet on him, but apparently being a minus 550 favorite was not worth it, but a pretty decent UFC 277 card. I feel like they bounced back a little bit from the UFC 276 that we're all very excited for that big Israel Adesanya fight. And that was a bit of a snoozer. So I think a bounce back here at UFC 277, they typically put on some of their best cards in the middle of summer and congratulations to Amanda Nunez being on back on top of both mountains. Definitely a person you never want to bet against. Told you never bet against Amanda Nunez. Unless you did last fight and then you won a bunch of money. But besides that. The giveth and taketh away. So did, did, uh, did Pena really have to have uh, plastic surgery the next day? That is, that's the story going around is that one of the cuts or gashes got so bad that there was legitimately a chunk of skin missing from her face that they had to graft something on. Yeah, I don't I need to get an update to find out what actually happened, but yeah, by all accounts, it was That's wild. Yeah, well like that has to be some kind of pain. Yeah, welcome to UFC. Mixed martial arts, I guess. That's that's up there with like the Ronnie Lott getting his fingertip chopped off in a game and just playing through it. This sounds painful. Wow. Lay down thinking about either of those. That's why we sit on couches and talk about sports. It's a lot harder to get injured this way. All right. So we're going to get into, we're going to talk about the MLB here quick. We just came up on the trade deadline. We'll really sink our teeth into the MLB next week, but wanted to get the opinion of this uh, quorum that we have with us this week. Kind of some of the big trade deals, if it changed how you think about the rest of the season going forward, the big buyers, the big sellers, I've kind of for a month or two now felt like, okay, there's about eight teams in the NL, AL maybe a little bit more wide open, but looking at these deals, Padres obviously going to be the big ones, getting Juan Soto, who is arguably one of the five best players in the league and will be for the next decade, we think, with uh, Vlad Jr. and Fernando Tatis Jr., those guys. But the Padres adding Juan Soto and Josh Bell came in that deal and they got Josh Hader. And the biggest name they gave up was Luke Voigt, who I feel like a year ago, Luke Voigt was a big star for the Yankees. Now he's being bounced around in trade packages. But the Padres, the big ones here, uh, the Red Sox getting Eric Hosmer, which is weird. I thought the Red Sox were tanking more on that in a minute. But as as baseball sits today and the dust has settled from the trade deadline, how do you feel? We'll start in the AL. Anything? interest you who you're buying who you're selling has anything changed for you as the season's gone along you said the al we're starting it seems like the yankees have uh been cruising even though it's there's some teams kind of close to them um but if you get the yankees and the astros at the end that'll probably be good for entertainment purposes but um never been a yankees person usually hated the yankees but for some reason they seem a little bit more likable now maybe after being slumping for so long and having the whole astros stuff that kind of feel like you won't be so sad if they won um but they're a fun team to watch um so you kind of get to when i'll watch more baseball in october um it'd be fun to have them around i would probably pick them out of the al obviously i'll be cheering for the twins i don't really think they have much of a chance to do anything if they make it to the playoffs um the blue jays would be fun to see um and the red sox 
I thought they were way farther behind than they are. They are three and a half games out of the last wild card spot, which is kind of crazy for how terrible they've been at chunks of times during the season. So maybe, maybe they can sneak their way in there. That's not too far behind. Yeah. You've been lambasting the Red Sox for tanking. And I was thinking, wait, they're in it. Everybody in the AL East is in it. Even the Orioles have gotten hot. Nobody seems to be talking about how good they've been here in the last month or so. They were, they were never totally out of it, but they're right in there as well. The AL East is loaded. I was really the White Sox are still good, right? Go ahead, Jen. Here's uh, more interesting so, the White Sox. <laughs> yeah. Let's come back to the White Sox. But the Orioles were like, they were on fire going into the All Star break and even coming out of it. Like, they kept it going and then they trade Mancini. He's their best player homegrown and they freaking trade him. Like, I'd be pissed if I'm an Orioles fan because even though you're not going to win the division, like, at least be competitive. So I would look for them to fall off here and it's it's really disappointing because they finally have something to cheer about and then they get rid of their best guy so uh, I just wanted to make sure we got that in there all right now for the underachieving White Sox so yeah the White Sox last year just last year they were kind of like this hot pick team the White Sox they're the everyone was on them and was it two years ago they kind of really started getting good and was Tony LaRusso in his second season now which seemed to be yes. the yes. craziest. I'm not a baseball guy, but that just seemed like a completely crazy hire. And it seems like they could be better without him. Maybe that's not true, but it seems like they were better before he came. And since they've hired him, that they've kind of taken some steps back, even though they still have lots of talent on their team. Um, they're what two and a half games. They're one of those teams right in the thick of behind the wild card spot. So they're not out of it, but it seems like they're good enough that they they should be in the wild card at least right now, probably better in the twins from a lineup standpoint. Um, but so the Tony Russas, what I always think about the white Sox and why they, they brought him on and what that, what they could be without him. Maybe they'd be in the same spot. Maybe they'd be worse, but it seems like they should be better than they have been the last year, two years. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that my understanding was that go ahead, Darren. No, I just, I was going to agree. I think the White Sox are the best lineup top to bottom in the central. They have more talent than both the twins and the, he pointed to call them the commanders, the guardians. So, but the central's wide open. There's only two games separating Minnesota, Cleveland, and the White Sox. The The West is decided. The Astros are going to run away. The twin uh, Mariners will settle in second and maybe a wild card team. The East is, you know, the Yankees are set, but the other four spots are wide open. And then that central, That'll probably be the last race decided because I don't think any of these three teams are really showing they want to win it, even though the White Sox were a trendy World Series pick the last couple of years and have all the talent in the world from pitching and the battery, but they're just not getting it done, which may be a lot on La Russa. Why I, why I think the Twins are going to win this Central is they, they brought in a reliever at the deadline. His name escapes me, but they brought him in to strengthen up their bullpen because their starting pitching is solid. They get on base, they score runs. So they while while they're not going to contend for the World Series because as we've as we've discussed with other Minneapolis professional sports teams, it's their job to choke in the first round of the playoffs. So we can't look at them as a contender to come out of the the AL. Um, and we've we've mentioned a lot of other teams. Uh, Cleveland's going to fade down the stretch. They've done that every year since making the World Series in twenty sixteen. That's what they've done. They'll continue to do that. 
um, in the White Sox. We've kind of talked through their issues. So it's the Twins coming out of there. And, and then you really got to look at it, guys. You got to look at who's going to who's going to beat Justin Verlander twice in a series. And, and nobody's going to do that. He's having the best season of his career. He's older than Kevin. Like, he's crushing it. And, and then the Yankees are so far ahead of everybody. That's where I would get worried is are they a team that's going to get complacent and coast into the playoffs and not be able to turn it back on? So I'm looking at the Astros to come out of the American League. Not that you asked for a prediction, but I'm, I'm putting that out there right now. So if, if we assume the Yankees and Astros are safe, those two are pretty much in. And we remember that Major League Baseball has six teams in the playoffs now. Who are you giving those other four spots today if you had to had to put your parlay down for four teams to round out your AL postseason. Yankees, Astros are one and two, who are three, four, five, and six. Seattle, Boston, Toronto, and the White Sox. Or I mean, sorry, take take Toronto out. Oh. The Twins and the White Sox. No love for my Blue Jays. No, I I just don't think they're going to get it. I'll take the Mariners because they're going to get to play a lot of games against bad teams. So that should help keep them afloat um, compared to some of these other teams, especially the teams in the East. So give me that. Um, I'll have the Twins winning their division. I like that they've been consistent all season. Um, you know, nothing great, but they, they've been winning from the start of the year till now. Um, so they'll win. I like the Blue Jays enough that I'll probably just be biased and put them in, um, whether or not they can. But Blue Jays, Mariners, that third spot's probably the hardest one. Um, I like the the sad story. The Orioles were just pitched to me by Shannon um, and feeling bad for them. And so it's always fun to see them make the playoffs since they never do. So I'll put them in there as a, a fun little team to get in and get absolutely smoked in the wild card by whoever they play. Was that only five? You had Yankees, Astros, and then... Yeah, Yankees, Astros, Twins. Those will be the division winners. Okay, there you go. I got you. And then uh, Blue Jays, Mariners, Orioles. I think it's interesting. We're all going to go three different directions here. Yankees, Astros, we mentioned. I think Chicago is going to get hot here somehow. Just too much talent for them to not be good. So I can go to your three division winners. I've I've spent too much time in the Pacific Northwest and heard from sad sack Mariner fans who just never can believe they're going to get nice things. So just leads me to believe that the Mariners are going to stumble here at the end, even though they will get to feast on the AL West. Kind of like the White Sox are going to get to feast on the Tigers and the Royals because the Royals just traded off their two best players. But I think the East, as much as these teams are going to beat up on each other, I think that's where we're going to get, man, I think we're going to get the Blue Jays are going to be four, raise five. And I guess, Kevin, I'll go with your twins to get that sixth spot. I just, I, I want to trust the Mariners. I want the Mariners to be there. And this opinion could change next week. You get two bad series and this whole thing looks different. But I'll go, yeah, I'll go White Sox, Rays, Jays, and Twins. And then instead of the Orioles, it'll be the Twins getting smashed in the opening round by whomever. Blue Jays will score 25 runs against them. Going over to the National League, which this is one that I feel like is way more wide open, or at least 
you know, at the top, it could be very, very interesting. Dodgers are running away with it, which is a shock to nobody. And then the big spender, San Diego Padres, and I have a theory on them here in a minute, but the Padres are in there. You've got the Mets and the Braves. Those are kind of your top four that seem to be separating a little bit. Those four kind of seem to be, I would say, safe for the playoff spot. And then you're looking at the Phillies, the Cardinals, maybe the Giants still have a chance to get hot, but I think this one is kind of down to your top eight teams of the Mets, Braves, and Phillies out east, Brewers and Cardinals in the central, and then Dodgers, Padres, and Giants out west. That wasn't really a question. Dodgers and Mets, those two teams are are pretty pretty secure. Um, You feel pretty good about them. Braves, obviously they were able to get hot late last year. feel like they've been there, done that, that they're, they're going to be in contention. At least they'll make the playoffs. Padres way too much talent to, to stumble. They'll get in. So as it puts us at four, I don't feel very good about anyone in the central doing anything of importance. Someone's got to win it. Um, I'll take the Cardinals to win the division just because it seems like they're always the team that can accomplish something in the central. And then that last spot, um, you know, the Brewers, Giants, Phillies, that's probably what the three teams that really have a shot there. Um, I will take the Phillies. So get all kinds of AL or NL East teams in there. NL East, AL East, let's put all those teams in the playoffs. Um, that's where all the excitement's at. So Phillies, they got they got some fun stuff going on there from a player standpoint. So it'll be fun to have them in the playoffs. Um, they'll be the very last team to get in. I, I, I was uh, thinking – along the same lines as you and my, my only consideration would be to put the brewers in over the Cardinals, but that's only for selfish reasons because in our competition, I have the brewers. And so um, they're, they're likely um, they're going to cost me a Webby on the last game of the season and overtime, I guess extra innings is the right term in baseball. So I, I do think you're onto something and I'm glad you mentioned the Phillies a year ago, we had the giants overachieve and, and they had they done last year, had they done what they did last year, this year, I think that would have been right on target, but I think they're going to come up a game or two short and the Phillies are the right team to put in just with the roster they have. Um, they fired their manager earlier in the season, uh, Joe Girardi, and and have kind of responded well to that. Um, he was the wrong fit for the job, and, and so I like the Phillies as being that last team in there. Um, and, and as I was kind of going through all this in my mind, I was thinking that, in the world series, we'd get to see Verlander twice for the Astros. Could we see Kershaw twice for the Dodgers? And it'd be really fun to have that pitching matchup go at it. So I'm going to say the Dodgers come out of the national league. I think the Dodgers are clearly the class of this. I have a tough time trusting the Mets because they're the Mets, but I still think they've built up enough of a lead that they're going to be in there. And then again, I agree the Braves, this is kind of what they did last year. They just stayed around, hung around, and then they got hot at the end and peaked at the right time. So I think those three are in. Padres have spent too much money to not get in, so I'm with you that those those four would be the four that I'm the most comfortable in. Giants, I would say, are probably my eight. And then you get into the kind of the same thing, Brewers, Cardinals, and Phillies. 
hopefully if you're the Cardinals, you don't have to play the Blue Jays at any point in time. If you were to be in the World Series, because half your team can't travel. But I, I really like both the Brewers and the Cardinals. So I think both of those teams get in. So I have the Phillies being the one on the outside looking in who aren't going to be there, which another team that's crazy how much talent they have and how much they've spent the last couple of years. But you're, you're very much down to eight, and I would almost even argue seven. I think the Giants have kind of dug themselves a hole that's going to be too tough to get out of for as good as the other seven teams are. Now, can I uh, share with you guys my theory on the Padres? They've kind of been the talk of baseball this week with the Juan Soto deal. You can tell me yeah. if this is just a, a, a coincidence or if this is a, a concerted effort. So when did the uh, San Diego trivia question, I know the answer, so I looked it up four minutes ago. When did the Chargers leave San Diego? So it was 2017 is when they moved. Um, but my good guess. How many other? Yeah, I would not have guessed 2017. I didn't think it had been that long, probably because the L.A. fans don't care about them. But how many other pro sports teams are there in San Diego? There's no hockey team. There's no basketball team. Now there's no football team. Had the Padres seen an opportunity where they're the only game in town and they are now going all in. They used to be this kind of little small market team that didn't have a whole lot. Like, oh, the Padres, we had Tony Gwynn for a while and we're good. But other than that, who cares about the Padres? feels like they've gone on this whole campaign to take over San Diego because they know they're the only game in town. And you look what they've spent. You Darvish, Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove, add Josh Hader to that, Josh Bell. Uh, Manny Machado was kind of the first big one they spent money on. They've added Jerickson Profar, who's you know, been up and down. Fernando Tatis is their kind of homegrown guy, but now adding Juan Soto. So all these big money, big name free agents, you don't think of the Padres being contenders that they're going to go toe to toe with the Yankees, Dodgers, Cardinals, Mets, signing these big money guys. But my, my little hypothesis here is that now that they have no competition for attention in San Diego, they're going all in to make this team as fun and competitive as they can. Or it's just a happy coincidence. And they're finally realizing how to run a team. Sounds good. I think, yeah, I think you're onto something, Darren. That's why the Royals sell off all their good players. Cause they're like, Oh, well, the chiefs are already in town. So. until they win a world series randomly every 15 years, 20 years, every 30 years, exactly. 30 years, however long it is. Shannon's hey, better than never winning. Shannon's Whit Merrifield Jersey skyrocketed in price this month. Sure did. I'm going to sell it for $18 now. <laughs> All right. So that's going to put a bow on uh, baseball for this week. We want to touch a little bit on the NASCAR playoff situation, which I don't know a whole lot about, but hopefully as I'm talking about this, Shannon will turn up his computer sound just a little bit. He sounds clear. He's just a little bit quiet. So if you can find a way to make yourself louder and then explain to us what is happening with the NASCAR postseason, how many races do we have before the playoffs are set? And then what exactly happens in NASCAR playoffs? It feels like one of those things that we're still not quite trained to remember. I'm wondering if you can hear the modulation in my voice. What is that Saturday Night Live skit? Or no. Yeah, 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 it is. It's Will Ferrell, right? Yeah, it's on Weekend Update. Yeah, there we go. Hey, the NASCAR playoffs get started here in just a couple of weeks. So what they do is they take 16 drivers and those 16 drivers automatically make the playoffs. Here's how you could get in the playoffs. You could win a race during the season, or you could then accumulate the most amount of points, but winning a race automatically locks you in. Here's what's fascinating about this season so far. 14 different drivers have already won a race. 
So what that does is that really shrinks down the opportunity for anyone else to get in, like as a wild card, you might say, as you compare it to another sport. So on a Shannon just threw everything he owns. On a, in a typical season, you might get eight to 10 different drivers that are really dominant. And so then you have a lot of wild card spots. This season, they went to a brand new car. This is called the next generation car. And what NASCAR did is they built every single car the same and said, here you go. You can do very few modifications to it. So like you can say that you have a Chevy or a Ford or a Toyota, but you really can't change much of anything. And they're like it. And they said, if you know, if you change stuff, there's serious penalties. And what happened just a couple weeks ago was um, Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch. They are on the same team. They race for Joe Gibbs racing and, and they finished first and second at Pocono, Darren's favorite track. Uh, and they, they were cheating. They had, they had put something under the decals on the car to help wind resistance. So they, they illegally changed the cars and NASCAR took away their finishes, which is something they hadn't done in like 50 years. They had not disqualified a winner. And so they're very serious about this. So back to the playoffs. Now, luckily for both of those clowns, they have a win on the season, so they're locked into the playoffs. But neither one of them is really a contender to be the champion at the moment. All that changes in the playoffs. So we've got our 14 drivers locked in. All that was to say that because of this new car, it really balanced the field. It's given everybody else a chance We've got a brand new team, Trackhouse Racing. I'm a huge fan of what they're doing because they kind of have flipped everything on its head. Um, they've judo flipped it. Uh, Ross Chastain is absolutely crushing it with part of this Trackhouse team. Um, he is second in points, and, and they weren't even really a, a thought at the beginning of the season. Uh, so of these 14 drivers – there's two wild card spots right now. It's Ryan Blaney and Martin Truex Jr. that look to be the last two guys in. Um, Kevin Harvick is on the outside looking in. He's about the only one that's close enough to make it. But I'd I'd be curious to look up when's the last time Kevin Harvick did not make the playoffs. And we had a conversation this spring about how some of these more veteran drivers are kind of fading, and it goes to show the talent influx. When you balance all the things out and there's maybe 22, 23 cars that are kind of the highest performers and you've got these up and coming drivers. So there's there's that one final spot probably between Truex and Kevin Harvick with Truex going to get that. Now here's somebody that could, could, could Eric Jones sneak up and get a win and sneak into the playoffs and steal a spot from Blaney or Truex? Could Bubba Wallace sneak out a win? Like those are all things to keep an eye on here before we start the playoffs. Could somebody new get a win and shake it all up? Last year it was Kyle Larson ran away with everything. And then it was everybody else right now. Chase Elliott is in the lead Ross Chastain second and Joey Logano third. They've all had really dominant seasons with top tens and top fives. 
once the playoffs start, they're going to take those 16 and then every couple of weeks they pare it down. So there's 10 weight, 10 races. After a couple of races, they get it down to 12 guys and then they get it down to eight. Eventually they get it to the final four drivers uh, going into the last, the last race of the season. Uh, Chase Elliott has been a champion before. He's been there. He knows what it takes. Uh, he's going to be the favorite. Um, Ross Chastain, Joey Logano, William Byron, they all could be contenders. Um, it's worth pointing out, Tyler Reddick has two wins on the season. He has, he has just put in his time over the years. So a lot of credit to him and his crew for sticking with it and continuing. He's had a really nice season. He's not a threat to win the title, but he's had a good season with two wins. So the playoffs are getting closer. Some new guys to the chase, Daniel Suarez, Austin Sindrick, Chase Briscoe. That's a lot of that young talent coming up. Suarez finally has a break uh, as part of that track house team, being that second car. So look for them to be major players moving forward. They got two guys in the playoffs their first year as a team. Um, and and uh, just an exciting season that'll come to a close early November, but it'll fly by as we know with the baseball playoffs and football getting started. So uh, just keep an eye on NASCAR to see if Chase Elliott repeats or if somebody else sneaks up on him once the playoffs start. And like you mentioned, the changing of the guard, and I admit to not being the diehard NASCAR fan I used to be, but so many of these guys are like, yeah, I kind of know their name, but I don't know Tyler Reddick, Christopher Bell, Chase Briscoe. Yep. It, who's who's standing out? Who's going to be the next big attention guy? I know everybody loves Chase Elliott, but look at the guys who are on the outside looking in. You mentioned Kevin Harvick. I would say Bubba Wallace is probably one of their biggest names, highest promoted stars. He's not had a great season. He's down there. Eric Almirola, I don't think has ever been a major star, but he's been around a long time. Austin Dillon, Chris Busher, Ricky Stenhouse. We love to tease on this show. Brad Keselowski way down there having a terrible season. So just some of the familiar names would be on the outside looking in. And as you mentioned, even uh, Martin Truex is, is struggling. Where's the other Bush brother? I thought both Bushes were running a, Full season. Where's Kurt Busch? Oh, Kurt Busch is going to make it. They are. They're both. Yep. He's won a race. It's interesting because Kurt Busch drives. He drives the other Jordan car. Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin own a team together. And it's all Joe Gibbs racing equipment. But since Gibbs can only have four cars, somebody else had to be a team owner. And so Michael Jordan owns this team with Denny Hamlin. And there's really six Gibbs cars, two of them owned by Hamlin and Jordan. So, so Kurt Busch is in that other one and he's having a really good season and Bubba is not, and they're driving the exact same car. So really the only point of having these different car manufacturers, it's down to Ford, Chevy and Toyota and the current arrangement is really just people like I'm the lock Chevys or I ain't driving nothing but a Ford. Like there's really no difference anymore. It's just people who are these weird diehards about their car brands. Exactly. So question here. So according to what I'm looking at, Kevin Harvick is almost 100 points behind Truex for that second and last spot. Is that realistic to catch him? Was it four races left? Is 100 points feasible? Is that seem- realistic? It's it's really not. I mean, it's it's going to have to have a couple of DNFs. Did not finish for Truex and Harvick's is going to have. He's going to have to be top five for it even to become close because if if Truex finishes 39th he gets one point and Harvick finishes third he's going to have 41 points so 
it's going to have to be a lot of that to even happen. So, I mean, the playoff field is probably set. Realistically, it's probably set unless somebody below the cutoff wins a race. Second scenario, let's say uh, let's say Kevin Harvick and Eric Jones both win a race here in these last couple of races, and Truex finishes fourth, maybe even up to third place, and gets left out. Do you think they would uh, change this scenario, how this is set up going forward in future years, if someone finished that high and gets left out? Yes, I do, because of how many different drivers have won a race. I could see that happening. So that'd be pretty crazy if uh, he's fourth in points and, and did not make the playoffs. Probably won't happen, but yeah, would be crazy. So the the playoffs start in September. The September 4th race is the first one. I'm looking at the schedule here and kind of a question for Shannon that I I may know the answer to, but I still want to ask. So we've got a race coming up at Michigan next week. So if you need a little nap on Sunday afternoon, there's the Michigan race for you. Then Richmond on August 14th, a great track. Watkins Glen on the 21st, which bless you if you watch that race. But then August 27th is the final race of the regular season. And that's at Daytona. Historically, Daytona is always the opening race in February, and then it was 4th of July weekend. Did they move it to the end to build up the drama for who's going to get the last spot before the playoffs? Or why is the second Daytona race now at the end of August? Yeah, that's exactly why they did it. Okay. Because then you, then you get into the playoffs and you get some of your good ones. Darlington again, Bristol. Yeah, you got Kansas and Texas mixed in there. But when you really get down to the end, you get Talladega, you get Charlotte. Martinsville, Las Vegas. And then it's still weird to me that the championship is at Phoenix. I get whether you want to be in the South in November, but still odd to think of Phoenix as the championship race. Yeah. I, I, I always got a little pouty that like Atlanta was second to last and Miami was the championship race. And I can still be bitter about it being in Phoenix because it's, while it's improved from Miami, it's still not a great choice. It would it'd be awesome to have that final race at a true track like Richmond, like where real racing is real racing. Yeah, one of the, one of the iconic tracks. Hey, Kevin, which one of these races do you want to go to? Uh, we can go to Gold Bowling at the Glen. We've got the Cookout Southern 500. We've got the Bass Pro Shops Night Race. Uh, I got the Yellowwood 500. You got the Dixie Vodka 400. Uh, so which one of those is most uh, catching your attention? Well, I would I would say if I was to go to a, a race, a night race sounds the best. And so we got a 7.30 and a 6. Uh, let's go to Bristol. We'll get the Bass Pro Shops. Love it. Night race. Saturday night. Best time for a race. That's I'm, I'm all for going to some more NASCAR races in my life, but you give me Bristol, Tennessee in September at night and name it after Bass Pro Shops. Presumably there's going to be some crazy SEC football game going on during the day. I don't know, like Bristol's right on that Tennessee Virginia line. So I don't know where the fandom lies, but need to figure out the SEC football schedule for September 17th and plan a little Southern road trip. Is a uh, Bristol where they played a football game a couple of years back, like Tennessee and Virginia tech or something. Yeah. yeah. Didn't they do the football yes, field in the middle did. of the track? So they can do a football game and a race at the same time. Is that possible? Can Love we it. do that? I'm, I'm here for it. Let's do it. Saturday night football and NASCAR together. <laughs> right, I would so, watch. I would watch. So Shannon, as we sit today, who's your pick for your NASCAR champion? Chase Elliott. 
I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to go off the board. I want like a Daniel Suarez. Give me somebody surprising. Chase Elliott seems to be uh, just destroying everybody. So I would uh, be a fool to pick against him without knowing too much. I think like a Daniel Suarez, somebody off the board would be fun. Somebody like him or a Bowman to get hot at the end. But looking at the season that's been, I think one of the Kyles, one of whom I know Shannon very much does not like, but between Kyle Busch or Kyle Larson, I think those may be my two serious picks. So, so I just for fun, we're going to let you have Daniel Suarez. And if okay. he wins, you're going to get five minutes of uninterrupted celebration time in Love November. It. And we will celebrate after. After that, we will celebrate you. So He's, you get you get Kyle's, and Kevin and I get the rest of the field. Okay, deal. Daniel Suarez has nine top ten finishes. He's near top ten in that category. He's got a win. He's coming along strong. Look at the guys who drive the ninety nine. He's in the ninety nine car. That's a long legacy. Jeff Burton, Carl Edwards. It's a good crop of guys to be with. That's all it takes. All right, so do you guys want to talk about college football or NFL? We may only have time for one on this show. I've, I've got a couple of questions teed up for you guys that we can discuss these uh, potential topics. Well, do your question. You t- yeah. Just well, there's questions. We'll call it good. I have three college football questions and three NFL questions. Your college football questions. Which new face in a new place is the most intriguing? Which under the radar team most interests you? And name a player that fans need to know who may not be a top category name. And I've got some nominees for that on the NFL side. We have which quarterback needs to win now or their jobs in trouble, which seller dweller will make the biggest climb from last season and which playoff team from last year will stumble the most this year. College football. Yeah. You think college football and giving me a thumbs down. So I don't know what to make of that. Was the vote for college then? During your NFL questions put me to sleep, and so I want to talk about college football because I'm selfish. Good, because uh, that's the one I have a lot more notes written down for, so that saved me a lot of having to make stuff up as we went along. All right, and you are totally welcome to go off the board. I just wrote down some nominees for each of these, but your first college football question, which new face in a new place do you think is the most intriguing? We have coaches and players mixed in here. So on the coaching side, Mario Cristobal at the University of Miami after going there from Oregon. Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma for USC. Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame for LSU. And on the player side, Quinn Ewers going from Ohio State to Texas. Caleb Williams also going to USC. Spencer Rattler going to South Carolina. The vagabond JT Daniels going to West Virginia. And Jordan Addison, the star wide receiver from Pitt, also going to USC. So those are some that you're also welcome to go off the board. Those are just some that caught my eye when I looked at the landscape. Seems like USC is uh, dominating all of your, your people you have listed there. So I, I would take them as just a whole, um, you know, with all the, the talk around Lincoln Riley left and then slowly as player by player left Oklahoma and a number of them going to or Caleb Williams going to USC. That definitely seems to dominate the news of, of coaches moving around. I mean, given how the level of high profile jobs that were open and coaches moved and new coaches this season from last season is pretty crazy to think about. Um, but it seems like Lincoln Riley gets 
the big part of the discussion of like uh, what's going on since he seemed like he wasn't going to leave, or at least that's how he made it sound, and then took the quarterback with him that, and then took Pitt's receiver. Um, I would say that's kind of the big focus. Will they become better than what they have been? They've had some talent, um, just haven't done much with it for a while. So what will he do out in the back 12? You said most intriguing. Am I correct with that? Yep. Which, so yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of these coaches that you listed and it's like, I, I go to who seems like the biggest jerk and it's Brian Kelly. And I want to watch when like Lane Kiffin, who is also a jerk, but at least kind of a funny person beats LSU 52 to 17. And then watching Brian Kelly pout on the sidelines, thinking back to his opening press conference thing where he's like, I haven't even won all my games yet with his dumb fake accent. And like, he's just kind of always been a tool that thinks he's better than he is. And so I'm most intrigued to watch the wheels fall off at LSU and watch them go 500 Um, for a player, Spencer Rattler. Here's a, here's somebody that um, the saying might apply. Like he was born on third base and thought he hit a triple. He got benched at Oklahoma where the three previous starting quarterbacks won the freaking Heisman trophy and were taken first overall in the draft, or at least two of them were taken first overall. And, and he could not hold off a freshman who is going to go and do well at USC. But like, I want to see, can Spencer Rattler win six games as starting quarterback at, at South Carolina? And so I, to, to answer most intriguing Spencer Rattler and see what he does. Also, you've got LSU is hosting Ole Miss on October 22nd. Beautiful. Oh, I'm there. What's the spread? Because I'm going to bet Ole Miss. But and just to list the SEC coaches here, I just I don't know if there's like a coaches meeting that happens. But do you want to be in a room with all these people at one time? So you've got Nick Saban at Alabama, Mark Stoops at Kentucky, who I think is probably pretty likable relative to as college football coaches go. Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher, Sam Pittman, who I know nothing about, Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, Elia Drinkwitz, who's I think another decent guy, Brian Harson, Shane Beamer, Josh Heupel. Clark Lee at Vanderbilt, Billy Napier starting with the Gators, and then Brian Kelly for LSU. So put those 14 people in a room. Have you ever had as much drama amongst coaches as you get with the current SEC coaches? Because you got like Lane Kiffin with Nick Saban. It's more of a a joking stuff that Lane Kiffin is just constantly teasing him and Alabama as a whole on Twitter. Um, but that seems to be more in good jest, despite sometimes the comments he actually says. But like the Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, and now that Kirby Smart has, you know, gotten ahead of Nick Saban one season, you know, what does that bring up to? And then now you add in Brian Kelly that nobody likes that. And Lane Kiffin will probably for sure go after him. Anyone that, you know, can help get his clicks up on Twitter, making fun of Brian Kelly will sure go for that. So, um, I'm excited to see Ole Miss beat LSU and Lane Kiffin tweet about it afterwards. I'll be staying up all night long waiting for a tweet that night to see when it comes out to be the first one to like it. 
So it'll be super exciting. I hope that happens. But uh, the SEC has good drama, if nothing else. Well, and you you add in not just their head coaches, but if Wikipedia is to be believed and up to date, the assistant coaches on these teams. Bill O'Brien's at Alabama. Will Muschamp is a coordinator for Georgia. DJ Durkin is a coordinator for AM. Kendall Bryles is with Arkansas. Charlie Weiss Jr., who I didn't know that he existed, is at Ole Miss. Uh, we had another one on here that I saw. I don't know where he went to, but it's kind of like, oh, all these former coaches or once upon a time head coaches pop up as assistants in the SEC at these big schools. All right, moving on to your question two. And again, we may have different opinions on what under the radar means. You guys can disagree with me. But which under the radar team most interests you for this upcoming season? And my nominees were NC State, Kentucky, UCLA, Fresno State, Oregon State and Tennessee. So again, in, interesting. Nervous. Is that the interesting team? Most interesting? What do you say? Yeah. Who do you think? Who's who's a team? Kind of a, most interesting, a sleeper, a team that maybe fans aren't thinking about. Like, sure, we can sit here all day and talk about Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, and Texas A and M, but somebody a little under the radar that fans need to be paying attention to. Go ahead, Shannon. I'm I'm nervous to pick my team because I I, I think they're going to do really well, and I'm last to pick in our, our competition for teams here. So both of you guys get a pick in our competition. But for me, it's Tennessee. Uh, I was a Josh Heupel hater when he took over this job. And I actually think they're going to be pretty good. And when I say pretty good, like they're probably an eight win team. And so I was hoping to keep them available. Uh, He's brought in a lot lot of talent and he, he hasn't even had to put money in McDonald's bags like the previous coach and his wife did to get recruits. Like it's all above board now. Everybody's paying everybody, but Heupel just seems to get it. And so they're my under-the-radar team that I think is going to surprise a lot of people. Tennessee is very fun, um, and they definitely seem like they could be a good team. Um, and, yeah, so Tennessee, fun. Let's see, was it Purdue last year in the bowl game? Those two teams play each other? Highly entertaining yeah, game. Yeah, that was that awesome. Was, that was a that great was game. Probably one of the best bowl games last year and just one of the best overall football games to watch last year. Um, you know, Tennessee had some other teams they did really well with last year. Lots of inter- exciting games for them. I definitely put them in there. Um, you know, people have, a lot of people have been talking about NC State, and it kind of feels like they're getting to the point where everyone's like, oh, this is the team that's no one. They won nine games last year, nine and three last year. Um, and everyone's been talking about them. They got all kinds of people back. So they're not really under the radar, but they're still NC State, and they're playing in the ACC, so they're not going to get the talk like lots of the other teams uh, Clemson, Florida State, Miami teams like that. Um, I might go off the board of what uh, what you're listing here as as teams that are of interest, of note. Whatever he said, and this it's probably just because of the history. But Wake Forest, they won 11 games last year, and no one's probably talking about them. They're still super. They have a lot of good players. I won't say super talented. They probably don't have a ton of talent, but they're a good team. Um, well coached. They got a quarterback and they could win the Atlantic again. 
NC State, Clemson, all in there. Everyone's talking about them, but Wake Forest, I would not be surprised if they won the division again two years in a row. In so DraftKings, everybody's favorite gambling app has them. If, if you took the over eight and a half wins on Wake Forest, that's a plus 115. To look at their schedule. Let's see here. Non-con, we got VMI, win. Vanderbilt, win. Liberty, probably can win that. So start 3-0. and You said 8.5, so now I just need six yeah. conference wins. Let's see who they play. Army, too. They can be Army. The score will be 87-54. to They played last year, right? I think that was the score last year, 87-54. to I think remember I'll the Wake Forest game? on that total. Wake Forest, Army, 2021. They played each other last year. 70 to 56. Better be careful with your, <laughs> better be careful with your unders. <laughs> the, uh, the second half was 42 to 35 in the second half alone. Oh, my gosh. 70 That's to 56. Amazing. Yeah, so uh, they play again this year. So uh, tune into that game because there will be points and no one stopping anybody. But uh, – so yeah, they could probably they get that. They got Florida State, Wake or Boston College, Louisville on the schedule. They can uh definitely push over. I mean, eight and a half, that's still a big number to to bet the over, but they could definitely do that. Wake Forest, division reigning champs, the under under Herald, that's a word. On Herald, under Herald. We'll make it no work. one's talking about him. <laughs> and I'm as representing Pac-12 country here or whatever's going to remain of that conference in two years. I wanted to go with Stanford because Tanner McKee is kind of the golden boy right now. The Stanford quarterback that people are, is he the next Andrew Luck question mark or the next Davis Mills? We'll get on, talk about him in a couple of weeks, but their schedule is brutal. They go to Washington, to Oregon, to Notre Dame, to UCLA, to Utah. So there's a team also in the Pac-12 that I'm going to go with, and they're starting to kind of climb up the rankings, get some attention, and that's UCLA. Yes, Chip Kelly and everything that goes along with him. I like Chip more than a lot of people in these parts do nowadays. But they start out with a super easy schedule. I think they could feasibly start out 4-0. They play Washington, who we don't really know what Washington is this year, and luckily they get them at home. They only really have to go to Oregon. That's their only tough road game. They get all their other tough games at home, and then – USC at the end of the year with the battle for Los Angeles. Very interesting to see USC make them in as a juggernaut with everything Lincoln Riley brought along with them. So USC may be amazing, but with as bad as the rest of the Pac-12 South is, I don't think there's any reason that UCLA should not be considered the favorite in that division and potentially the favorite in the Pac-12, depending on what all these new blood, the, the new blood with USC and Oregon could change a lot and Utah will be there and they'll be okay. But Keep an eye out for UCLA. Do we have a do we have a DraftKings over under on UCLA? Sure, we do. It's probably seven and a half. We've got eight and a half. Eight and a half. Ooh, Bowling Green one, Alabama two, South Alabama three, Colorado four, Washington five. We're starting out five and zero. Oh. Utah, Oregon, back to back. That's that's tough. Stanford, that's six. The two Arizona, seven, eight. And then you get Cal at the end. I'm giving them at least nine. You just have to – at least nine plus Utah, Oregon, and USC. What's that going to pay me? Is that like plus 350? If you went over? If I went over eight and a half for UCLA. It's minus 115. Dang. So 
Vegas is kind of with you, Darren. They know what they're talking about. But hey, conference winner. Ooh. How about how about we look at something to make a little money there? Conference winner, you can get them at plus nine hundred. Ooh, I like it. Because it Oregon's got the coaching, but it's a lot a lot of turnover for them. You're same with USC. A lot of talent. Utah's going to be the stable one. It's it's a four horse race, and two of those horses have new jockeys. UCLA to make it to the title game plus three eighty. Don't even have to win your title game Ooh, then. Even better to get there plus three eighty. But but or there you go, man. All right, and our last college football question, so I can let you guys get to bed. Name a player who may not be well known, but the fans need to be aware of. Everybody knows about C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young and Spencer Rattler and Quinn Ewers, but who are some of these other guys? And again, I have uh, some some nominees here. I mentioned Tanner McKee with Stanford. You got Will Levis, Kentucky quarterback with a lot of NFL hype. I'm sure I'm going to butcher this guy's names, but Kayshawn Boutte, the wide receiver for LSU. Deuce Vaughn, the running back at Kansas State. Tank Bigsby, the running back at Auburn. Noah Sewell, the monster linebacker for the Oregon Ducks. The wonderfully named Bumper Pool, linebacker for Arkansas. Brian Brees, defensive lineman for Clemson. Will Anderson, defensive lineman, edge rusher for Alabama. Uh, those are just some of the names that I pulled out. But again, more than welcome to go off the board. I just want to find who's going to be that name that in three months, everybody's going to be saying, well, why aren't we talking about this guy? Where did he come from? So I'm going to go with uh, Tyler Van Dyke, quarterback, Miami Hurricanes, University of. Transferred, right? Yeah. Uh, no. Oh, I'm thinking Not of. at all. He, um, he took over last year. Um, they had the guy who transferred from Houston. I can't think of his name right now. Derek King. There we go. So Derek King went over there. He's going to make all his NIL money out of Miami. He got all his NIL money. And then he was absolutely terrible. Complete garbage. He looked like he didn't even want to be there. Miami looked like they didn't want to play football. He got hurt. And then Tyler Van Dyke came in and was awesome and threw like 7,000 touchdowns. I made all kinds of money betting his over two and a half touchdowns every week because he was over every single week. Um, let's see, looking at his last one, two, three, four, five, his last five games last year, he had three touchdowns, three touchdowns, four touchdowns, three touchdowns, three touchdowns, and a total of three interceptions in those games, 25 touchdowns, six interceptions last year. He, Miami's offense looked way better with him. Um, he was just a freshman last year, sophomore this year, big guy, big arm, um, stepped right in and looked like he had been playing for years. Um, great player, you know, Miami as a whole, you know, I don't know what the rest of their team fully looks like, but their offense will score points. Um, and it's going to be because of him leading the way plus 3,500 Heisman trophy winner. <laughs> we talk a lot about quarterbacks and, and I'm going to stick with that, not because I love doing it, but because there's two that I really think that you're going to look at at the end of the season and be like, huh, one's a reclamation project, sort of, and the other one is maybe just under the radar. And I, I don't think the national people talk enough about, and that's Aiden O'Connell at Purdue. Um, I could see him as somebody that throughout the season shows that he, he's an NFL quarterback. 
Um, so, so Aiden O'Connell is the one to keep your eye on from Purdue. And then the one that's a reclamation project, who's going to torch the PAC 12 passing yards, the Oregon quarterback, Bo Nix, he is going to light it up PAC 12 after dark. Uh, really excited to see what he does in that offense. They're going to score a ton of points. And so, uh, be looking for that one. Kevin, getting back to your point on Miami first, if there's one, th- two things Mario can do, Mario Cristobal can do, it's recruit and develop, develop offensive linemen. So I'm not sure how much time Van Dyke has, if he'd be going to the NFL already after this year, and we'll take Mario probably a couple of years to get his guys in there. But Van Dyke, if he sticks around and gets Cristobal's guys, he'll be playing behind a great offensive line. Cristobal recruit and develop those guys. We're very good in the trenches, especially along the offensive line. Shannon, I've never heard of that Purdue quarterback. And uh, Kevin, I need you to figure out some type of wager for this. I'm not totally sure. I think Bo Nix may get Spencer Rattlerd this year with the Oregon Ducks. They have like two five-star quarterbacks they've recruited the last couple of years. I believe Ty Thompson is one and the other guy, I can't remember what his name is, but they have a super deep quarterback class and Bo Nix is the veteran. He's been around think beat Oregon when he was the Auburn starter, like his Auburn debut a couple of years ago. I think they played in Jerry world and Auburn beat Oregon with Bo Nix as quarterback, but start out with a couple tough games. You go to Georgia, you play BYU early. He gets shaken. He gets injured. They have these two five stars sitting in the quarterback room by the end, by the, by the game, we can no longer call the civil war. Bo Nix may have been rattlered. That probably won't be the most surprising thing. He's a, a super fun quarterback to watch. Um, he's highly enjoyable. I don't know if that means he's a great quarterback, but um, he makes lots of fun plays happen. Um, he's a, uh, I would call him a gamer if that really means anything, but that's what I think of. When I think of Bo Nix. Um, so I hope he stays as a starting quarterback. It's a year there or however long he's got left in college. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a hard schedule. At first play Georgia. Um, could easily not look good very quickly in a game like that. Um, and if you got immense talent behind you, um, as we've seen, teams are feel much easier about moving on to uh, these star freshman quarterbacks because they're ready to step in and play right away. Unlike a number of years ago, you wouldn't think of putting a, a freshman quarterback quarterback out there too often, but these days freshman quarterback ready to go from the first season. So um, I hope he stays out there. Fun guy to watch. My, I think I mentioned all my guys. My one, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stick with him, Noah Sewell. While we're talking about Oregon, I think he's going to be a tackling machine. You're going to be hearing his name. He's a defensive player, so you won't hear him as much as a quarterback. But when it gets to the end of the year and all the defensive player awards, watch out for Noah Sewell. And then Deuce Vaughn, I, we'll talk about him more, I'm sure, when we do our Big 12 full season preview. But a fun running back to watch it, Kansas State. You're a your Darren Sproles flashbacks come to mind, but keep an eye on Deuce Vaughn. If you get a chance to watch Kansas state, they're going to be better than you think they are. Big 12 is wide open this year. And if he has a great season, watch out for Kansas state. He's, he's a fun electric player to watch kind of does everything for the wildcats. So he's my not high profile player. That will be much more high profile in four months. I'll throw out a second name in the Oklahoma state quarterback, Spencer Sanders, who seems like he's been there about five or six years. Um, he has always been able to make super awesome plays, but for the most part, he's also made a lot of really terrible plays over the years. 
and throwing all kinds of interceptions, just ridiculous plays. He really cut down on that last year. Um, and he, he makes some really, really good throws, really hard throws that he makes pretty easy. Um, and as he, you know, if he keeps taking more steps than he even did last year, he's going to be a super good quarterback. Oklahoma state will probably be near the top of the big 12. Um, and he could be in a chance to have a good high profile going down the stretch those last few weeks. If he's in the running for, you know, Oklahoma state has 10, 11 wins in the regular season playing Oklahoma late that he can kind of put a big name for himself late in the year. But I, I think he'll be a good quarterback throughout the season. Waiting for Shannon's rebuttal. I don't really have a rebuttal. I'm, I'm kind of stewing on your Kansas state take, like how cool it would be for them to even make the title game. So I'm all in on that. I really like Deuce Vaughn, but I don't, I don't disagree with anything he said about Spencer Sanders. Well, if you guys are up to it in about three weeks, we can do a Big 12 conference preview and a couple other conferences. We'll mix in there. We'll probably, probably divide it up and do it, you know, the, the Big Five and the mid-majors and give you guys three of those. Does the Pac-12 fall into the mid-majors? <laughs> the, <laughs> in, in two years, the four teams that got left behind when they joined the Mountain West. Kansas State non-conference gets South Dakota, Missouri, and Tulane. That feels like 3-0. That's a good lineup of teams. Not that they're great teams, but. Got to go to Baylor, to Iowa State, to Oklahoma. Who's Kansas State have for a quarterback? Colin Klein? I don't know. (laughs) He's a quarterback coach. I don't think he can play. (laughs) Who's the quarterback when Sproles was there? The really good fast guy? Uh, Eli, Eli Roberson. Roberson. Oh, Adrian Martinez. How did we forget that? Oh, Kansas State going to the playoffs. 47-year-old Adrian Martinez. <laughs> so Adrian, Adrian oh, Martinez with Deuce Vaughn and Malik Knowles. He might not be a good receiver, but he's going to have like 12 kick returns for touchdowns this season. So they're going to score like a touchdown each game from him doing that. I think Phillip Brooks is an all right receiver. If, if Malik Knowles can catch deep passes, he can probably catch some long pass. I don't know who else they got for receivers. They might not have much else there, but between Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez running the ball, they are, they're going to be set. They steal like one road win from, you know, they beat Baylor or Texas and stun somebody. They're right in there. They're a nine and three team. Poor Deuce Vaughn's not going to have an NFL career because he's going to have 552 carries this season. He's only a him. he's only a junior, so he can get 600 more carries next year too. <laughs> they already got how many carries does Deuce Vaughn have? Thirteen thousand career carries. <laughs> see, he only had 235 last year. Let's see here. Deuce Vaughn career stats. Before Adrian Martinez showed up. He's at he's at about three fifty for carry so far in two seasons. Get another three fifty this year. Came up to seven hundred carries. Who's Nebraska have at quarterback now? They have then they get a they got a transfer of some kind, I thought. Who did they get? Yes, they have some fun names. Spencer Arsenault. Heinrich Harburg. 
Cooper Houseman. Oh, Casey Thompson from Texas. There you go. Oh, that guy. That's right. Oh, because Quinn Ewers was coming to town, so he left. Casey Thompson got. Was he the one that got benched seven times last season, or was that the other quarterback? Yeah, he got he got benched all the time, and the other guy kept getting hurt, and the other guy wasn't any good. Cord or something like that. Hudson Cord. I don't know his name. Okay, just kept benching both players, bringing the other guy back in. How is it that Nebraska plays at Northwestern in the first game of the season, conference game? They're not at Northwestern. Yeah, They're at Dublin versus Northwestern. Yeah. Uh, no you going I've to that game? No, no wonder I've never heard of a Viva Stadium. Yeah, it is not in Evanston. So what's going to happen when they lose against Northwestern in the Bert, first game? Big Burt. They get North Dakota uh, and Georgia Southern. That's fine. Nebraska hey, and Oklahoma in a non-conference game in Oklahoma. Oh, in Nebraska. Nebraska, Oklahoma, non-con in Lincoln. You guys better go to that. Nebraska's winning there, right? Oklahoma's going to still be figuring things out. They have a defensive coach, all new players. All their fans are just mad at the world. <laughs> then they got to go to Oklahoma or go to Nebraska. Whew, that's going to be bad news bears for Oklahoma. Hey, once the, once they I, lose I, to Nebraska, they're all going to be wanting to fire their coach. I kind of want to watch Brent Venables. He's the new Oklahoma coach. Just lose his mind when Nebraska starts out that game ahead 7-0. to zero. Like, that'll be worth the price of admission itself. <laughs> it's it's already a noon kickoff. Let's see. What, what time zone am I in? It's noon somewhere. Yeah, so, it's probably on Fox. Probably the oh, noon Eastern time on Fox game. There you go. 11 a.m. You guys, you guys wake up at nine o'clock. You're there by kickoff. People are going to really be hating Fox even more than they already are. I think that's, is that when Ohio State and Notre Dame play? You like 11 a.m.? Something like that. I don't know. People just keep getting more and more mad that Fox has their best yes. game at 11 a.m. Yeah. Try when it's at 9 a.m. on the West Coast. That's delightful. Let's see. I'm trying to figure out who, if I know any of these other Nebraska players. Oh, well, they got Oliver Martin still. He's hanging out. They're going to start six zero. They start conference play with Indiana and Rutgers. They're going to start six zero, and then they got to go to Purdue for their first battle. Yeah, I don't know a lot about any of their players outside of Casey Thompson. Then you end the he season. was benched a lot. End the season with Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa. It's not very fun. They've got. Uh, I just had his name. The offensive coordinator from Pitt, Mark Whipple. I think Ooh. maybe you talking about Nebraska. Yeah, their offensive coordinator, they brought him in. He's like statistically the most efficient offensive coordinator in football. And then Chenander, the defensive coordinator, is one of the statistically best defensive coordinators in football. I, I mean, it's an easy bet to hammer the over on Nebraska this year. I think they're at seven and a half. He was the head coach at UMass for a long time. This Mark Whipple fella, three-time 1AA national champion. It's pretty exciting. He's, there's a, his, his Wikipedia picture is him and Brandon Whedon when he was the quarterback coach for the Browns. But, yeah, it talks about him being the OC at Pitt last year when Pitt was really good and probably made that Addison guy really good or made him even better. So, so you said seven and a half. So Northwestern, they're probably still terrible. North Dakota, Georgia, so at least three and zero. Oklahoma, we'll say they lose that. Indiana, Rutgers, so up to five. 
Illinois that can win that six. And yes. then they got a, they're probably going to have to get, let's see, Illinois. So yeah. say they win Illinois, that's seven. So now we're saying they need to be either Oklahoma, Michigan, Wisconsin, or Iowa. You have them beating Purdue? Oh, I didn't have them beating Purdue. So that would be the other one. Well, I'm saying, well that's Shannon just told you about yeah. Aiden O'Connell. Yeah, Aiden O'Connell's good. Aiden O'Connell used to be a guy always splitting time, having to come off half the time. But I think they're I think they're past that for the most part, unless they bring in the other guy to run some. But Aiden O'Connell, he's he's gotten pretty good. Illinois has I'm, Brett Bielema as their coach, though. So yeah, Illinois is getting better too. Nebraska will go three and nine. Changed their mind. <laughs> so now they're losing to Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, Illinois. So they're gonna lose the last five games. And Purdue, they're losing the last six games of the season. Um, said he lose to Oklahoma, so that's seven losses. Five and seven. They're gonna be five and one, and then lose six straight games. <laughs> and everyone will be laughing. Bet the under to pay off your, your pool then. <laughs> Um, Rutgers does not have a special teams coordinator to start the year. That feels like a problem. Iowa State didn't have a special teams coordinator for like six years. So, <laughs> well, that's Iowa State for you. I don't think Iowa State still has a special teams coordinator. They have a special teams analyst or something like that now. All right. Which their special teams suck. So maybe that tells you what you need to know about having one. <laughs> well, let this be a preview for a couple weeks from now when we do a deep dive into nothing but college football for an hour or two hours or however long these two let me talk about it. Thank you all for joining us on episode 69 of the sports gospel. You can find us wherever your podcasts are found, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, or sportsgospel.com. Thank you all for joining us. Have a great week. 